Hey there, Matt here. Before we get started, just want to let you know that we will be sprinkling some book knowledge into our podcast. Don't worry, they will not spoil any aspect of the story. They're just more supplementary. However, if you're a person who absolutely hates book reader knowledge in your TV talk, then this podcast probably isn't for you. Also, we're sorry. Anyway, here's the podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series. Matt. 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 <laughs> Staggered. <laughs> and the HBO Game of Thrones franchises. <laughs> one more time. Three, two, one. Matthew. You're listening to Before the Dragon. Don't tell me what to do. Do, 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 do. Welcome to Before the Dragon. My name is Matt Murdock. This is the initial reaction to season one. Episode 8, I think, entitled The Lord of the Tides. What I can absolutely confirm is that the episode was written by Eileen Shim and directed by Gita Vasant Patel. My episode rating for this episode of House of the Dragon, 9.3 out of 10. A high score, but I did have some issues with it. It's just... About 9.2 of that 9.3 goes to Patty Constantine. He's going to be up against some stiff competition with Better Call Saul, but at least give the guy an Emmy nomination because he did some incredible acting despite the Herculean kind of writing that he was given with this particular episode. And I don't mean so in terms of strong. I mean it so... (laughs) Maybe strong's a bad word to use for this episode, but I don't mean in terms of the writing being strong. I just mean in terms of the fact that in the situation that that king is in, him even getting up and going to the dinner table seems a little unrealistic to me, especially the bit about coming to the throne and miraculously saving Rhaenyra's butt. By the way, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm not on screen today. I've been sick. And I'll be pausing this audio recording often to cough. The rest of the rating, the decimal points left over, goes to the emotion of this episode. It was really an emotional episode for me. As I said, some of the writing in this seems to be a little bit implausible, even though it did have great emotional payoffs. And I hate to be nitpicky, but I wish directors would just stop trying to do crazy shots with cameras when they're putting mats against real sets that shot of the coach going into the red keep where you could see the castle in the background and then it was slowly coming out of camera because the camera was moving down more towards the real set i swear i saw that castle jerk in a way that did not match the camera just stop doing those shots please that way nitpickers like me don't have to say anything because those shots aren't there Real quickly, let's just talk about the new decor. So, Susan had asked earlier this season about all of the stuff on the walls and everything when it was in the time period of a younger Rhaenyra and Alicent. And I thought perhaps maybe a future king by the name of Baylor, who the Sept of Baylor is named after, might be the person who does, you know, rearranges this stuff. Nope, turns out it's Alicent. In the after the episode, the showrunners explained that because she had had that outburst with Rhaenyra, she has since turned to faith. 
in order to try and redeem herself. And it would seem that all of these new decorations and the taking down of all of those Targaryen things, depicting things that don't really match with her piousness, it's all on her. So now we have an answer to that, at least. I think that Damon and Rhaenyra's kids are absolutely adorable, but how do you expect them to be very well behaved when you put them in front of a zombie or a vampire, basically? You cannot expect them to stay well behaved after that. Did find it a little humorous that uh, they were confirming what I would have thought. It's like you don't take little kids in to see a husk of a man. You're going to just, just horrify them and traumatize them. But then again, I guess they can at least say that they saw their grandfather? Uncle? I don't even know what they would be to him. Somebody help me out with that. You can tweet to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter. You can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. That's M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. Or you can leave... Comments on our web post, mattsaudioblog.com, m-a-t-t-s-audioblog.com. There's a contact form there, too, which just goes via email. Or you can leave comments on our YouTube posts as well. Our YouTube posts are there for you to do so, for you to see the silly punishments that we do and all of that. We'd want to give everybody a visual element to it. We would love it if you would subscribe. How do you do that, you ask? You search for the word before the Dragon Podcast on YouTube. Subscribe today. Like those videos if you like them. Leave comments and tell us what you think of the podcast or of the television show, House of the Dragon. We will include anything that we get on our YouTubes and from anywhere else as long as we get them by 5 p.m. Pacific time on Tuesdays. They go into our panel podcast If you don't make that deadline, don't worry. Say something anyway, and we'll include it in the next one. No voices go unheard in this podcast. Give us your thoughts. We always appreciate what you have to say, as much or more so than what we have to say. Hats off to Ramin. Again, I find a little weird the continuity that's being placed in some of the music cues, but that doesn't make them any less extraordinary, just as pieces of music that add drama to the scenes that we're watching. Don't forget that one of the things that I love is when they choose to not put music in. I love the fact that you had music leading up to that scene with Rhaenyra and her father, and then the music went away, and it didn't come back until the end of the scene. It really emphasized Emma Darcy's wonderful portrayal of Rhaenyra during that scene. I know from personal experience how hard it is to speak to someone who obviously you can realize you're going to lose very soon and wonder if what you're saying will even register with them. And yes, there were moments after this, of course, where we saw a cognizant Viserys again do things that you wouldn't think would be physically possible at that time, but wonderfully portrayed by Patty Gonsandine whose name I'll keep tripping over till the end of time, uh, which is a great injustice to an amazing actor who did an amazing portrayal. The score for him entering the throne room was so dramatic, not overly dramatic, just appropriately dramatic, 
And uh, between the scene of Rhaenyra at his bedside and this scene, I'm not above telling you that I lost it a couple of times. I think proof in the pudding of a show is when you start to mourn characters before they're gone. And this episode certainly had me mourning Viserys, who has not been a good king, by the way, but I feel like has been a good man. And I'm still just talking about the music also. I mean, the music at the dinner was so amazing too. I'm going to have a real hard time narrowing down what I'm going to analyze in the panel podcast later this week. And I know people are going to say, oh yeah, Otto and Allison are forcing this milk of the poppy down Viserys so that they have a firmer hand in ruling during his bad health. But the truth of the matter is, is that after you see Viserys walk into that throne room, I can't help but feel like they were really actually just trying to look out for Viserys himself. Is that take controversial? Is it a problem to have Otto and Allison actually caring for Viserys? I think not, but you may think otherwise. Again, you can tweet or email me. I've already told you how. Then you just knew that Surveyment was not going to be able to keep his mouth shut. I love that Rhaenys ended up backing Rhaenyra and then using her deal to force her to shut up too. And it's Viserys' words that may be a candidate for my three words this week. I haven't yet fully decided, but matter is settled would be my three words. Uh, just because of the power of that scene. Another great piece of music in this episode was just that choral bit happening as Orwell and Rainey's were talking while the Silent Sisters were preparing Veyman's body. Off the music for a second, just back to Luke and Jace, these new actors, all of the actors, all of the new actors that have fulfilled this final time jump. Probably not. Maybe there'll be others, but it felt like a pretty dramatic time jump of at least, what, three years? When you consider Damon and Rhaenyra have had two children and are working on a third... But Aemon is like that kid that, you know, all the scouts in pro sports look at because he's still young and he's just sprouted up to the size of a full man and is ready to play basketball for the NBA. Well, for the G League. That's what I was thinking when I was seeing Aemon for the first time. And he's pretty darn good. I loved all of the little looks that him and Damon exchanged. I feel like a real connection there. I don't know if it is that Aegon looks up to Damon or if he's the one person in the room that he actually fears. Aegon himself is still a complete butthole based on what they've given Aegon. I don't think we're supposed to like him at all. Not even supposed to feel sorry for him because he kind of revels in his being a jerk. Helena obviously doesn't care because she's just too busy dreaming. The thing she said of note this week... I think as one of the toasts we're concluding at the dinner table, beware the beast beneath the boards. You know that our friends over at the Joffrey podcast are going to have a lot of fun with all of those bees. And just the symbolism of the boar being placed right in front of Amund. And of course he does 
is the one who cannot resist doing the toast to set everybody off and break up what was otherwise a lovely dinner. I was very moved by Rhaenyra's speech. Not sure how much I believe it, but I was very moved by it. Maybe it was genuine. And Allison's return. I was genuinely involved in both of them trying to make amends a little bit. And then, of course, the issue comes right back up, as brought up by Amund. I know that Jace was about to go off earlier with Aegon's buttholdness with his future betrothed, but he did manage to take the high road, which actually brought up one of the actual funny moments of the episode. There were very few. For me, this episode was very serious and very sad, but uh, one of the things that I loved was the way that Viserys was kind of saying, good job, and then after Helena gave her speech, Otto was saying, good job. (laughs) It was wonderful to see the grandfathers or fathers cheering their kids on for making good speeches, which are any of these kids old enough to actually drink wine? Not sure. Wouldn't matter to butthole Aegon because I think he's been drinking since he was five by the way that he drinks so much. And even Helena complains about, which was also funny. But most of that just kind of pales into the overarching darkness that is these two families that still don't like each other at all are just trying to make the patriarch of the family happy one last time. Great music during this ending as well. I know that he insisted that they dance, and then Ramin took the the lively part of it and turned it into something very solemn. And, of course, I'd be letting our book reader listeners down. I won't expand upon this, but Eric and Eric... I love that even Allison still gets them confused, and I loved seeing them sparring in the courtyard as Jason and Luke are coming down to see Eamon just really take care of Kristen Cole. Was Kristen Cole sloughing, or can he really just not handle Eamon that well anymore? It's a good question. I like seeing Kristen Cole get bested anytime that I can, even if he is sloughing. Still makes him look bad, which he is. And I don't know that I have too much more to say, except for the fact that there's your Christmas episode. All of the warring factions putting down their arms one Christmas night so that they can all have peace on Earth one last time, because you know it ain't going to stay this way. For our Seven Hells game this week, I watched as closely as I could, but I couldn't tell you exactly. If you think I'm wrong, be sure to tweet me at the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod, or you can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. But I didn't catch anything getting broken by the people who we had drawn last week. Everybody escaped. Well, Kelly had drawn an instant death, so she will be paying that this week in our panel podcast. She has chosen for her punishment, John is always right, because she says she was so inspired by his performance of Holly is always right. And I don't know if that's a comment on John or if that's a comment on Holly, because John shouldn't have been agreeing with Holly so much. But I better just leave that alone or I might have a mutiny on my panel podcast later this week. At any rate, that's what Kelly has chosen. My three words for now still remain matter is settled, although beneath the boards also comes to mind. Let me know which you think is better and be sure to send me your three word descriptions and your best coupling for the episode, which I haven't even really thought about that much. 
maybe it should be Viserys and Dreams because Dreams that he has has caused nothing but trouble. Obviously, Allison at the end at first thought that he was talking about the dream that he had discussed with her, but then she's realizing that there's something else going on when he starts talking about it being Aegon or whether she misconstrues that he means Aegon his son rather than Aegon the Conqueror. Not sure. But I don't know that Alicent really knows anything about this prophecy, but she obviously took his words as meaning that she should make sure that her son rules instead of Rhaenyra. When in actuality, I think what he was saying is he was thought he was talking to Rhaenyra and saying that she has to be the one. But can you really blame a guy who is just moments away from death for not exactly being clear with what he's talking about? or even being clear with who he's talking to. Just to recap, with all of these changes again, in people doing the acting, zero issues. Everybody did a good job picking up where their predecessors left off. Emma Darcy was amazing this episode, as was Olivia Cook, as was Matt Smith. I didn't mention the fact that the White Worm is back. And was that Talia? Who came to report to her? Is that who is doing the reporting now from within the Red Keep? You got to let me know that. Tweet at the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod, because I'm not going to go back and watch it again until we do our podcast. So I want to hear from you before that. Spoil it for me. Who was that? And all of these wonderful things points once again to Patty Considine, whose name, maybe I said it right that time. I'm not sure, but he really gave us the Hamlet this season. And hats off for a wonderful portrayal of a kind of wonderful character. Like I said, I think he's not a good king, but he seems like he's a pretty good man. And we'll pour one out for him and say thanks for listening to the podcast. You know how to contact me. We'll be back later this week with the full panel who will make things much more clear to you as listeners than I just did as I rambled all over the place in a half-sickened stupor. Take care.